Well, last time we were together in chapter 8, we saw 144,000 anointed evangelists slash prophets, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And uh, during that time, we saw the beginning of, the, of God's judgments coming upon the earth, a one-third, one-third, one-third. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting because we're gonna have the, the seals, the seven seals, and we're gonna have the, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And, and we've been looking at the seven seals versus the seven trumpets, or not verses, and. And I just sort of like to do a little comparison there. We look at the first four seals that, remember, there was a scroll, and only Jesus upon the Lamb, the Lamb of God, was worthy to open the scroll, and he was opening the seals. There were seven of them that then the scroll would be open. But as each of the seals were broken, God began to pour out his wrath upon the earth. And in the first four seals, remember we also compared with the four seals were four horsemen. Uh, and, and we saw tyranny, war, famine, death on the earth. Next to that, we saw the four trumpets. There's gonna be seven of each, but the first four sort of similar. We saw the vegetation, the seas, the fresh waters, and the sky. And now, looking at the last three seals, they were focused on heaven, the cry of the martyrs, um, the cosmic disturbances. Remember the blood, the, the sun and the moon turning to blood, and, and uh, a third of the night and a third of the day uh, were gone and turned to complete blackness, darkness. You couldn't uh, maneuver work at all. And then it's sort of a heavenly prelude to the seven trumpets. And so the last three trumpets now, we're gonna see speak of hell and uh, a great demonic host that's living in hell. Interesting enough, we're gonna discover there. But remember as we go through this, it's clear whether it's something that's, that's not literal or not. And it's important that that part of the Bible that says it's literal, we accept it as literal, even though it may have some crazy demonic look about it. And Seiss has this quote, the truth is, if the earth, trees, grass, do not mean earth, trees, grass, no man can tell what they mean. So letting go the literal significance of the record, we launch out upon the endless sea of sheer conjecture. And so remember, like in any literature, the Bible, guys, is like any other literature. It's so important. We, we don't let people say, well, the Bible's a unique literature and you've got to have a special pair of glasses, the Urim and the Thummim, like the Mormons say, or... You know, you gotta have a special uh, spirit fall on you to understand it. That, that would be the worst thing for us. The Bible is like any other literature. If you read a newspaper, you've, you've got 
the, the literal part of it, then you got cartoons, right? Then you got some poetic parts. Then you got people with the opinion parts. So, you know, this is in the same way within the Bible. You know, we have poetic, we have the Psalms and the Proverbs and, and, and a Song of Solomon and so forth, and it's poetic. And so if the Song of Solomon says, you know, um, my, my, my wife is like the dew amongst the lilies, uh, may not mean much to us today, but it meant something to them at that time, it's poetic. Um, but at the same time, if it says that one city was 20 miles from another city, we don't try to come up with some spiritual insight. It's just, that's what it means. And so we saw this horrible tribulation, which we come to learn it's a seven-year tribulation period. And Jesus, describing very much Revelation 8, in, in Matthew twenty four twenty nine, said this, in Matthew chapter 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heavens will be shaken. And so we see that, that as you're into the tribulation period, um, earth as we know it no longer functions. When there's supposed to be light, there's darkness. Um, you know, it's always amazing. The scientists are, you know, telling us this star should be hitting our planet and devastating us, wiping us out. But yet, for whatever reason, the stars don't hit us. Um, we know it's God. <laughs> it's God's protective hand. The, the Bible tells us repeatedly that, that, that God is holding all things together. And again, if one of those little tiny asteroids hit us dead on, or a flurry of them hit us dead, we're, we're over, it's over, it's done. You know, we're, we're looking at, um, here in Arizona, for example, you know, there's, you can go and, and stand at Winslow, Arizona, and look, it's right next to a petrified forest and painted desert, and about four miles from uh, the Grand Canyon. There, there, you can stand and look, and it's just this, asteroid that hit the planet it's like a perfect bowl it's about a mile across they're estimating that that one strike might be what put us on 23 and a third axis as a planet and they're saying that that would have been a worldwide um, it would have caused a worldwide covering of the water on the planet and again we know that such things happened uh, in the flood so that's just one little strike. Well, here we have stars coming and, and hitting the planet at various degrees. And so it, it's, it's gonna be a radical time on earth. Well, continuing to talk about that, we, we look in chapter nine now in verse one. The fifth angel sounded, blowing the trumpet, and I saw a star fallen, so past tense, from heaven to the earth. Notice here, to him. So the star is a person. And this star was given the key to the bottomless pit. Well, we happen again have remember that revelation is mostly scripture already repeated. And as we go on and look in context, we know about a star 
a person that had fallen. And as we go on to look, um, this person was given the keys to the bottomless pit. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 15, it says this, how you have, what? Fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. The stars is, is a, an analogy or euphemism for angels, as we'll discover, that when Satan fell, one third of the stars fell with him. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like, not equal or not above, but equal to the most high. Lucifer is simply a a created angel, but he wants to be equal to the sun. Nevertheless, you will be what? Thrust down to Sheol. Sheol is a, is a word, guys, that is described in the Old Testament. Jesus describes it plainly in the Gospels using, again, this word. It's, it's a place before the cross that was a holding place for the dead. It had a compartment of two compartments, one for the righteous, also called paradise, called the bosom of Abraham. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. There was a chasm between the two, and then there's a place called Hades, a holding place for the wicked. That's intact to this day as we work our way through Revelation. And, um, and so when Jesus raised from the dead, it tells us in Ephesians and in Peter that that's where he went. He preached the gospel for three days. We know in a story in Matthew about Lazarus, not Lazarus, the guy he raised from the dead, but another Lazarus uh, who lived next door to a rich man, that when he was in this holding place of the righteous, he wanted to reach across and, and give comfort to the rich man he knew, and Father Abraham would not let him do it. And yet they could communicate. So no doubt, in my mind, when Jesus preached the gospel for three days and three nights, those across the way could hear. Now whether any of them believed or not, we don't know, it's pure speculation. But everybody at that point, all the way back to Adam, had Jesus right there with them. So people often ask the question, well, is it right for God to judge somebody who never heard the gospel? Or what about the pygmy out in the middle of the jungle or whatever? And those are all legitimate questions. I'm not gonna try to answer them tonight. But right there, from Jesus all the way back to Adam, 4,000 years of the 6,000 years of human history, okay? 4,000 of the 6,000 years. From Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years, give or take, from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years, and from Jesus to today, about 2,000 years. And so, 
Again, from Jesus all the way back to Adam, they heard the gospel there by the very mouth of Jesus himself. And then Sheol was emptied out, the righteous part. And now to be absent from the body, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, is to be present with the Lord. But as we go on, especially the end of Revelation, we see that Hades is very much intact. And that Hades, this holding place of the wicked, is going to get thrown into hell after the judgment. And so we see there that Satan is thrust down into Sheol to the recesses of this pit. Remember when the disciples came back and they had healed the sick and a lot of things had happened, but one of the things is they had had power over demons and they were excited about this. And Jesus corrected them in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He, Jesus said to them, you want to start swapping demon stories? I, I got one for you. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Anybody can do better than that one? I don't think so. And it's demon stories. Let's start rejoicing, Jesus went on to say in Luke 10, that your names are written in the book of life. Let's, let's not talk about the devil. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about eternal life. Let's talk about what God's done for you. Now, the, 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 the weird part about this is that it says that this star that had fallen, I believe is Satan, was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, I just want to talk about this a minute because people, I think the devil, <laughs> has tried to, again, make himself equal with Jesus. And that hell is just sort of a, you know, equal to heaven, it's just a cooler version. You know, in heaven, there are all a bunch of little babies playing harps. You know, in hell, we're adults rocking out with electric guitars. You know, in heaven, you're playing badminton all in white. You know, in hell, we're playing football and soccer and cool stuff down there. That's sort of the picture and I've had people say to me, and I'm sharing the Lord with, especially older people, more than once I've had them say, I can't go to heaven. I gotta go to hell because that's where all my friends are and they're cool. Gotta go where all the cool people are. It's, it's that, that concept. And, and the devil is the one. So here he's given key, but as we see even here, it's for a specific time, a specific purpose, and it's simply to further God's plan. Remember in the story of Job, we clearly see that Satan is on a leash. He only has power as far as God allows him to have power. You know, we we here in this huge building here, we have various keys. Some keys open one, you know, maintenance door. And then there's, you know, the key that opens everything. And then there's keys all in between. You know, Satan has a key, but it's not the master key, okay? It's simply a key that God allows him to have that works only when God wants it to work, simply for his plan. And as we're gonna discover, this key 
is gonna open the door to allow demonic things to come out that haven't been allowed to come out in a very long time. And it's God's will that the, the things open. But yet, as we look at it, Satan is the king of these guys. So it's God's will, God's plan, that these demonic creatures that have been locked up for thousands of years, as the door is opening, it's Satan opening it, and that they see Satan as their king. All for God's plan, okay? And, uh, and so this is, this is an important point. And it says here, the bottomless pit. Now, some people have a problem with that because you're trying to picture out in space somewhere a bottomless pit or in some other dimension a bottomless pit. We, we, we don't know. But yet, as we do have descriptions, if it was in the center of the earth, the center of the earth never has a bottom. It only has a top. I have no problem with, at this point, Hades being in the center of the earth as the Bible describes it. And as you just look at it, it would be bottomless, simply, uh, scientifically. Um, it would be a, a bottomless thing. But if it's in a different dimension, a spiritual dimension rather than a physical dimension, it, it's really irrelevant. Um, we have three words used. The one is... Here we have the word abyss. Um, Also in Luke chapter eight, verse 30, it says this, verse 30 and 31. And he said, legion, because many had entered him. This is a man who Jesus was trying to cast out the demon. The demon wasn't cast out. He said, what's your name? He says, legion, because we're many. And then they began to beg him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And this is where Jesus allowed these demons to go into the pig and the pigs went down and drowned themselves uh, in in Galilee. Uh, They committed suicide. Um, First mention of devil tam, you know, all those kind of jokes. Anyway, this is the word abuso, bottomless pit. But then there's also another word, tartarus. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Verse four and five, it says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to, here it is, hell, Tartarus, and delivered into chains of darkness to reserve for judgment. We're gonna talk about this a little bit later. But here, here's another word. And then there's one more f- word, Gehenna. In, in, Luke, in Jude chapter six, it says this, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved to there it is, everlasting chains under the darkness for a judgment of the great day. And this is what we see. The final thing is Gehenna. So these have different descriptions to them. Hell, the, the bottomless pit, and then here Gehenna. It's an everlasting chains. And Jesus, most of what we know about hell we learn from Jesus in the Gospels. And he tells us it's a place where somebody is taken they're bound, they're cut up in pieces. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word there is the dripping of acid upon them. And then they're thrown into a place of complete outer darkness. They can hear screaming, 
Um, and, and so they have sensations only to feel pain. They have you know, a mouth and, and the ability to thirst only because they can never have their thirst quenched. They have ears only to hear the, the screams of pain. And it's for eternity. And that's the word Gehenna. And uh, we have those three different words uh, in the New Testament. Well, moving on here in verse two. He opened this bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. This is, again, it's a very literal picture. There, there's, there's nothing, as we're gonna see later, like this or like that. It says that the pit was opened up and smoke came out of the pit and darkness came. And then notice in verse three, then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. To them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. So in verse three, we're picking, we're picturing locusts coming out, grasshoppers. Now you, you can go through the Old Testament God repeatedly used locusts as judgment because they came and just ate everything and devoured everything and and people could go into um, famine conditions for for years and years. But as we go on, we we see that these locusts have the ability to sting like a scorpion. However, we're gonna get a lot more description of them. In verse four, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, okay, Typically, locusts are after plant life. Uh, but in this case, n- not, not any, any plants, grass, any green thing, any tree, but only men. The ones who have not had the seal of God on their head. Remember in chapter eight, the 144,000 had a seal on their head. We have an idea that there was other people who could have had that seal on their head. There was 144,000 of the children of Israel, of the Jews, but it wasn't limited only to those 144,000. There's other people who could have a seal of God. As we looked at it last week, I believe it's the seal of the cross. Um, but in verse five, they were not given authority to kill them. So these, these locusts had a scorpion sting. They were after men, but God didn't give them the ability to kill men, but to torment them for, look, five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death, will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. So this sting of this scorpion is just severe. And they, it's so bad, they, they, they just, they wanna die. And so, as we look at it, and most speculate, they're, they're trying to kill themselves. You know, where they're getting their gun and blowing their head off, or jumping in front of the train. It, it doesn't matter what they do, or how bad they mutilate their bodies. They continue to live, and they continue to feel the sting of this scorpion that's just so severe. There's no relief from it. And death takes a holiday for five months. Now guys, I just wanna stop here and make a point that I hope is profound. 
you say, oh, God's letting these scorpions sting him. It's a part of his judgment, yes. And then he doesn't let them die, which is a further part of his judgment. Maybe not. You see, one of the lies of Satan is this. The moment I die, it's better. The moment I die, I go to heaven. The moment I die, I have peace. And that is true for some. But we saw in the Gospels, for example, that story I was telling you about Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus was a righteous man, but he was poor and hungry, and he was diseased, and, and, and then the rich man who, who, who just fared sumptuously and had everything this life could give, and they both died around the same time. And Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham and was comforted. The pain stopped. The, the hunger stopped. The humiliation stopped. But with the rich man, he went into Hades and it says there it was like dripping of acid. There was no water. There was nothing to comfort him. He cried out and said, I know you. You're Lazarus. You used to eat, well, out of my trash cans. And, but hey, I see that you have some water there. All I'm asking is you dip your tiny, tiny little pinky and just give me the slightest little bit of water from your pinky just that I could have a a, a fraction of a second of comfort. And Father Abraham said, there's a chasm between us. It cannot be crossed. And this man, for all of eternity, will not get even a fraction of a second of comfort. So let's just sort of hypothetically say this rich man was depressed. His... Tenth wife left him. None of his kids are talking to him. He just found out he he got pancreatic cancer and doesn't want to have to suffer for months with it. And he kills himself. He's going from pain to worse pain. He's going from agony to worse agony. And I'm telling you that those who are right with God have a mark upon their forehead And this scorpion can't sting them, can't hurt them. But those who are not right with God can be stung by this thing. And if they were to kill themselves in that five months, they were going to experience something far worse than this scorpion stinging them. And my point is here, maybe it was the mercy of God giving them again in the midst of judgment an opportunity to repent. And so what do we have here? We have a picture of hordes of demons like locusts with a stinger like a scorpion that are coming upon every human being upon the earth to torment them. The inescapable judgment of God. You know, it just just makes me think a couple of things. The Lord tells us repeatedly that nobody is going to escape his judgment. That he knows every hair upon your head right now. There's not a sparrow that falls to the sky he doesn't know about. 
And that when we stand before him, we're going to give an account of everything that we've said, everything we've done, but everything we've thought. And you may say, well, that's not fair. That's too severe. That's too close. You know, lighten up a little. You know what? It's not like he's getting a group of people together to to vote on this. He is God, he is creator, and you are nothing. You get it? (laughs) We go back to Numbers 4 where Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, in his mouth. Look at all that I have done. And God warned him a year earlier. And, and, And the moment he spoke, God made him like an animal for a year. And at the end of that time, he opened his mouth and he humbled himself. And he said, man... Before God is nothing. Man's reign is not eternal. God's reign is eternal. God's judgments are right. Man's judgments are not right. And when he came to that realization, God let his understanding come back to him. And we need to fall upon our faces and declare that God is God and we are not. And however God desires to judge, he's gonna do it. Whether you agree with it, whether you think it's righteous, whether you think it's fair, it's irrelevant. It's his bat, it's his ball, it's his game. He is a creator of all, and one day he is going to be the ender of all his creation. Everything's going to melt with a fervent heat and be destroyed. And God has made it clear that every human being is going to be judged by what he thinks is righteous, by what he thinks is standard. Whether you agree with it or not, he is God. And it's not unrighteous for God to be God, even though you may think it is. You know, the other thing that blows my mind is we're going to go on to see that here's one key opens up one area of this bottomless pit And here comes these demons, these fallen angels, I believe, that became demons, and they swarmed upon the earth. Have you ever, you know, you've seen maybe in a movie or, uh, you know, on the internet, a swarm of locusts. It's just literally, the sky becomes dark with locusts. They're on everything. There's just one door of hell. That many demons come out. We're gonna see here in a second. He opens another door and another 200 million of them come out. (laughs) You You know what blows my mind when I think about this? How wonderfully God is protecting us every day. Guys, there's not a little bit of demons. (laughs) There's a lot of demons. And God's protecting us. God's hand is watching over us. Jesus said he will not give us more than we can handle. And it's true. And we need to be thankful. When demonic attack comes and it does come, you know what? He could, he, he's holding back a, a locust full of demons that could be attacking us right now. And there's one little demon, you know, nipping at our heels and we're collapsing going, ah, you know, what can I do? Just kill me, God, take me to heaven right now. This is too hard, you know. And, and, we, and we need to realize that 
God really is doing a good job protecting us from the enemy. Um, and we should be, you know, we, uh, you know we, all the things we could be thankful for, there's things that we don't even know about that we should be thankful for. And here's one of them that maybe we really haven't considered. And so again, these guys desire to die, but they could be going out of the frying pan into the fire. And we need to understand that no matter how hard life is, God has not given us that option of suicide, guys. And I'm sure all of us here, or most of us, have thought that, considered that. And the Bible makes it clear pretty well right from the beginning all the way through, thou shall not, what? Kill. And that includes you. <laughs> okay? It doesn't, doesn't just include somebody else. That, that includes you as well. And as hard as life gets, and it does get hard, and we want it to end, we want the Lord to come back, we've got to remember, the Lord has not allowed anything to come our way that he hasn't planned ahead of time. And isn't that true? There's no coincidences in God's kingdom. No matter how difficult things come, the Lord's, the Lord's got it in his control. Well, verse seven, guys. We get to look at some more about these locusts. The shape of the locusts was like horses. So here's the shape. There's eight things we learn about these locusts. Number one is the shape. They're like horses. So a minute ago, maybe you were thinking locusts with stingers like a scorpion. Okay, change your thoughts, guys. (laughs) They're not these little tiny locusts that land on your arm. These locusts are the size of horses. And it's, they're like radical horses. They're like they're prepared for battle horses. And on their heads were crowns, something like gold. So, you, you know, I, I, I was gonna do something that I never have done before in teaching Revelation. I was gonna show a picture. I was gonna break my rule and show a picture. Because I thought, you know, now with the internet and all these amazing graphics and Nobody even came close, at least to my crazy thought in my head. Um, so I, I still think the best picture of what we're describing is whatever you come up with in your head. So we got a, a locust the size of a horse prepared for battle. It's got its head like a golden crown. So, so the next thing, so one, we have the shape. Two, we have the head. Three, we have their faces. This is really scary. Like the faces of ah, men. I look in the mirror, it's pretty, pretty scary. So it depends on, on how pretty your face is or how ugly your face is. So the third thing is, is their faces like men. Then they had hair, this is scary, like the women's hair. Depends if it's straightened and colored and got all the foo-foo stuff in there, I, I don't know. Like a woman's hair who hasn't had it done in five months. <gasps> I don't know. Anyway, somehow this is terrifying. Women's hair. And then uh, their teeth are like lion's teeth. That could be scary. And then they had their breastplates like the breastplates of iron. So it's like you can reach up, this guy's stinging you and beat him off and it's gonna make a difference. It's like you're gonna hit iron. And then the sound, is of, it's like their wings are like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. 
And then here's the last description, the eighth thing. Their tails, we already know, are like scorpions. And they sting in their tails. And their power was to hurt men for five months. Something else I I just want you to stop here and, and consider. In John 5, Jesus says, all judgment has been given unto him that all would honor him equal to the Father. And, And I just want you to stop and think about this for a minute. That Jesus has been thinking about the judgment of men for a very long time. And so we get frustrated sometimes not seeing the justice of God on earth. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for those Dateline shows where they show the guy who murdered somebody and, and then, you know, they go to court and then at the end, you know, the guy gets off, non-guilty, and you're just like, ah! You know, and, and they're all weeping, going, there's no justice in the court system and, you know, that judge is horrible and the lawyers are horrible and everybody's horrible and, you know, how can I do? There's no justice in this world. And, and I feel that. I mean, I understand that. But the Lord has made it abundantly clear that there is going to be justice. And it's going to be complete. And it's going to be without mercy. Zero mercy. I do not believe any man has ever given perfect justice without mercy. I think men have done evil things and vengeance and a lot of other things and it wasn't true justice. It was vengeance. It was evil. But God who is perfect and loving and pure is going to act a perfect justice with zero mercy. And we're starting to get a picture of this. We're like going, man, the sting of like a giant horse and five months and he'd just rather die but he can't. And it's like, that's nothing compared to hell. As we get to the end of the revelation, this guy's gonna go, oh, the good old days, back when we got stung by scorpions. Oh, that was just like, you know, laying on a beach and, you know, man, those were the good old days when life was good, but now it's hard, you know. This is nothing compared to what God's gonna bring in eternal damnation. And, and I, I would just also like to say here, guys, Notice here in verse seven, the shape of the locust was what? Like horses, okay? As you go on through there, you're gonna see like gold. When we see this in literature, it's not that. So it's a description that we do not have, does not exist. The closest thing I can tell you, it's like, it's not that, but it's like that. And why is that important? Because when it doesn't use that, it is that. So if it says it is gold, then it's gold. It's not like gold, it is gold. And and why is that important? Because um, as we go through here, it it tells us it it is locusts, not like locusts. And then it tells us there's people that want to take this chapter nine and turn these locusts into helicopters, turn their stingers into missiles. And I just have a very hard time with that. Maybe they end up being right. I, I don't care, I'm gonna be in heaven. But, but the Bible does say, don't add to or take away from. 
So I'm just saying, when you're taking that step and you're saying, hey, this is, low, this is a helicopter and this is, you know, I can tell you exactly what kind of a missile it is. Here it is. They've been doing that since I was a kid and I think technology's improved a little bit. So it wasn't what it was, you know, back 10 years ago when I was a kid. But uh, whatever it is, I just, I think it is what it is. It's a demonic thing. In verse 11, they had as king. Now notice, these locusts have a king. It's hard to have a king with a helicopter. But uh, over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, Satan, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, who in the Greek is Apollyon. So I, I might add right here, it shows you it's, it's not a locust, but something, because in Proverbs 30, verse 27, the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. But these creatures, these demonic creatures, they do have a king, and I believe it's Satan, the one who let them loose, and they're appreciative with the key, and it's all a part of God's divine plan. We don't understand it all. But in Revelation 9:12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. You know, I'm, I'm here tonight. We're teaching through Revelation, not easy stuff. You're listening to it, not easy. But all of this should put a horror in us of I don't want to be looking face to face with something as it takes a stinger and rams it into my back and I'm, you know, got poison throughout my body and I'm screaming, wanting to die and I can't. I get my gun and blow my head off. I'm still alive. I jump in front of the train. I'm still alive. I try to drown myself. I'm still alive. And this thing, the poison's just going through my body and then I'm like going, this has got to end. This has got to end. And then I read, whoa, behold, we're just, getting, we're just getting warmed up here. We haven't even begun the tribulation period, guys. It's seven years, and we're, we're just getting started into the tribulation period. Why is God saying this? Because he's trying to say, if you are being foolish, if you are being fleshly, if you are being sinful, whatever gratification you are getting from the flesh, it will not pay in the long run. God's gonna judge every thought, every deed, every motive of your heart, every intention of your heart. And, and the Bible is telling us to fear God. In Proverbs it says, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is fear God. To fear God is to depart from evil. And in essence, we would read this and go, this is just crazy. This is like in the middle of a horror movie. And then to say, oh yeah, this is only getting started now. Okay, let's talk about what's coming next. And we're just going, there's no way I'm gonna be in the tribulation period. That's the idea, guys. That's the idea. And as we're here tonight... This, this is a time to fall, but Jesus says, fall on the rock and be broken, or that rock will fall on you and crush you to powder. And 
we're seeing. You know, people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's such a meanie. The God of the New Testament, he's such a nice guy. You can get away with anything. You know, that, that, that God guy that talked to Moses, whew, you know, he is one mean sucker. But Jesus, oh yeah, the guy that talked to the lepers and healed everybody and fed everybody and, you know, died on the cross. He was just so sweet. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. We're all going to heaven. We're all on his good side. There's nothing you can do to ever be judged by him. Guys, this is the revelation of Jesus. Whoever said that about Jesus, thinking he's different from the Father, there's one God. Yes, there's in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, but there's one God. And all judgment has been given unto the Son. And as we look at Revelation, we're, we're understanding that God, in order to be a God of love, and I'm not gonna explain it tonight, but in order to be a God of love, he has to be a God of judgment. You cannot have one without the other. And uh, we'll hear in verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, another trumpet blast, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And in verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now listen to verse 15. These four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Guys, that would be over a billion people. Imagine if tonight a third of the United States died. What would we be doing the rest of this week? (laughs) What would be happening to planet Earth where people let dead people just lie on the dead of the side of the road. We're talking serious diseases. We're talking serious dilapidation to the entire earth from the dead bodies of, of a third, over a billion people. And again, I just want to make note here that God's been thinking about judgment for a long time. He's got these angels locked up who are gonna be released to kill over a third of the population of the planet, over a billion people. And this has been in his plan since time began. And how long these guys have been locked up or at least the time of earth and depending on your your view of gap theory or not, maybe millions of years these guys have been locked up for this very moment, for this very moment year, yes, this very month, yes, this very day, yes, this very hour. God has been planning this judgment. Now, who are these angels? Ah, without going into detail because of time's sake, in Genesis 6, there was a group of these fallen angels, demons, who had relations with women And you can read it in Genesis chapter six, verse four and five. They created the Nephilim, which was a giant race of people known as the fallen ones or the mighty ones. And and God destroyed them in the flood. But he tells us in 2 Peter chapter two, verse four, we read it earlier, 
For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment. I think these are the angels we're talking about. This is my speculation. In Jude 6, it says, and the angels who did not keep, notice, their proper domain, but angels who had relations with women, human women, left their own abode. He was reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So I think these these angels that had no submission, not to Satan himself, definitely not to God, who, who started having relations with women and created some mutant form of man slash demon. And again, this is, this is a speculation, guys, and, and it's, you're gonna say, well, I read in this commentary and it said the opposite. I understand. It did. I, I got that. Um, this is my speculation on it. And these guys were locked up saying, hey, we're not gonna let you do this again. And now these demons in the last day, the day of judgment, are released. They come upon planet Earth. Um, It's from the area of the Euphrates, interesting enough. It's where they were released. Guys, if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, the Garden of Eden was between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. Later on, where Iraq is today, it's called, if you go to any history, secular or Christian, it's called the bedrock of civilization. And that's where all the ancient, you know, the the, the Tower of Babel was built, the Babylon was, the Assyrians were, I mean, two of the world ruling empires came out of there. Uh, as we look at Zechariah 5, that's where the Antichrist is going to bring his economic center and his religious center uh, and work right out of uh, ancient Babylon. If you look on a map today and, and look um, at Baghdad and, and go down south, you'll, you'll see Nazaria, Iraq. That's the ancient site today. And there these things are coming out. And in verse 16, notice, then the number of an army of the horsemen was two hundred million. And I heard the number of them. And I thus saw the horses in a division. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, uh, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, brimstone. But these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. So another third of mankind now is killed by these two hundred million soldiers by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and their tails, for their tails are like serpents, like having heads with them, they do harm. Now, this is a big debate. Are these humans who are, you know, following the Antichrist or whatever? There's all kinds of speculation. But just to give you an idea, guys, during World War II, If you counted all the soldiers who fought in World War II, that's 70 million. (laughs) There is one point where China claimed to have 200, an army of 200 million. And again, if that were true, you could line up soldiers 5,000 people wide. And let's say they just started falling over a cliff dying. 
you could populate that eternally. So it's, it's, a, it's a number that's not been seen in history and I do not believe it is a human number. I believe this is another demonic group who comes and destroys another billion people on the planet. And so the population of earth is being thinned out quite quickly. But you would, you would think, you know, and I've had people say to me, show me God and I'll become a believer. <laughs> and I'm like, you are so unworthy, you know. Even if I could show you God, I wouldn't. You're unworthy. I'm unworthy. But then they'll turn it around. Well, show me something demonic and I'll believe. And, and guys, as we go back in the Bible, those things just aren't true. Pharaoh, he saw some radical, powerful things. And his own sorcerers are saying, this is the finger of God, believe. He didn't become a believer. The children of Israel were having manna come out of heaven. They're looking at the Mount Sinai and seeing the presence of God. And what happened? They all died in unbelief. So as much as I'd like to say supernatural things cause faith in the heart, it's just not true. Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Do you understand this, guys? The most powerful thing on the planet isn't you doing miracles, but you sharing the verse that God shared with you today. The greatest hope of a non-believer in your world, whether it's a relative of yours or your next door neighbor or a guy you work with, the greatest hope of them coming to Christ, becoming a believer, is not seeing God or seeing a miracle or seeing a demon. It's you sharing a verse of the Bible. Isn't that radical? God's word is the single most powerful realization of, of God's fingerprint. Of course, the greatest miracle on earth is what? You and me. <laughs> and you'll see that. Look at verse 20. But the rest of mankind who, who lived, who, who wasn't a part of the one-third and the one-third, the couple billion people that died, so the, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, what? Did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, the idols of gold, of silver, of brass, of stone, of wood, which they could neither see nor hear nor, nor walk. In verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. Guys, if you're a believer here tonight, that's the miracle of miracles of miracles. That our stubborn, wicked, rebellious, murderous, idolatrous, immoral heart is willing to submit to God. And understand that submission to God is evil to people who don't want it. A non-believer walking in tonight and watching us worship would infuriate them. They wouldn't walk in here going, oh, that's cool, you know, you guys are into that and I'm not into that, but I'll leave. No. It infuriates them. It infuriates them that you believe in God. It infuriates them. Watch, look at the talk shows. <laughs> Look at, listen to the liberal commentators. 
They're not sitting, spending all their time putting down Buddha or putting down Muhammad or putting down the Hindus. What do they spend around the world, by the way? You can be in another culture and they're blah, 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 blah. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. Perfect English, cursing Jesus. They don't know another word of English, but they know every curse word of Jesus. It's, it's an amazing thing to me that, that how wicked, wicked the heart of man is. And what a, it's us too. That's our hearts, guys. Jeremiah tells us our heart is what? Desperately, deceitfully wicked. Above all things, who could know it? I, I know that's true about my heart. You don't need to convince me. <laughs> in Romans 7, Paul said, there's no good thing that dwells in me. Not one good thing. That is in my flesh. I, 100%, you don't need to convince me of that. You don't need to say, ah, wasn't Paul exaggerating there? I know there's not one good thing that dwells within me, but wickedness and sorcery and murder and all the other things. I would rather worship demons and idols and gold and silver than, than, than to say Jesus Christ loved me and died on the cross and paid for my sins. It's a miracle that we're believers, but here it is, guys. I just, I, I, I wanna bring you guys to remembrance. We're gonna end here. It's 8.30, we're way past time. But here, I wanna want bring something to remembrance. You would think that these guys are going, oh, this is horrible, these five months are horrible. And then another, everybody I know around me is dying, all these dead bodies, and I'm in pain. I can't even move, the stinger's paralyzed me, but yet I got 10 dead bodies around me, and oh, they're smelling and corpse, and ah, oh, you know, if I can get out of this, as soon as, I start feeling the poison of the scorpion dissipating. The five months is up. Oh, Jesus, Lord, give me one of those marks on my forehead. (laughs) Come here, I'm a believer now. You know, I repent. That wasn't the case, was it? As soon as those five months is over, as soon as the pressure's off, they're just as wicked as they were before. I've seen it. Remember the Twin Towers, guys? Our church filled up for a few weeks. Remember when we went to a couple of wars over in Iraq? Desert freedom and uh, it, church filled up. And then what happened? As soon as the pressure was off, they started doing whatever they wanted to do. As soon as the fear was over, they started doing whatever they wanted to do. Again, a person believing in the Lord and following the Lord isn't about a miracle. It's not about something tragic that just happened. The foxhole religion, you know, where the guy's in the foxhole and bullets are slinging by his head. God, get me out of Vietnam and I'll be the best Christian you've ever seen. You know, he gets back from Vietnam and he's living like the devil still. It's a miracle, guys. It's a miracle of miracles of miracles that we are wanting to submit our lives to Christ each and every day. And it's a miracle of miracles of miracles when somebody else believes upon the Lord through his word. And understand the odds are against you guys. Paul says, I I show in my body the scars that I preach Christ and am crucified. The majority of people, we see it right here in Revelation, (laughs) in the midst of incredible demonic stuff, incredible pain and pressure, They still have unbelieving hearts.
So don't, don't think that, you know, nine out of 10 people I go share the Lord with are gonna get saved. And man, I've been sharing the Lord for two weeks and nobody's gotten saved. I'm never gonna share the Lord again. This is just disheartening. <laughs> it's not the way it works, guys. You go share the Lord and somebody gets saved. We need to say, a miracle, a miracle, a miracle has just happened. A person believed upon the Lord through his wicked, idolatrous, murderous, sexually immoral, hateful, evil heart. He submitted himself to Christ. And as a pastor, you know, evangelist counts him right at the moment. A prophet counts him a few months later, but a pastor waits for a year or two to count him. You know, are they really a sheep? <laughs> are they really gonna follow Christ? We gotta, we gotta see if that's gonna happen, right? But here we are. Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. And we know you've brought people here tonight to, to see the realization of this. That, that they are at the brink of either coming to you or rejecting you. And the rapture's gonna happen any day. One day we're gonna be having a message like this saying the rapture could happen any moment and it's gonna happen. And there is no hour later, 10 hours later, three days later getting raptured. Either they're ready in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, or that's it. They go through the seven year tribulation period with a very evil, ungodly world where Satan is ruling and reigning as the Antichrist with all the unbelieving world and the demons. And the odds of them becoming believers in the tribulation period are far greater than them becoming believers now. Please, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, draw all those who don't know you today or if there's any living an unsubmitted life to you today, fall upon the rock and be broken. And I just right now wanna pray for you. Just lift your hand saying, that's me. I'm not a Christian. If I were to die tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. If Jesus were to come right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. You can be. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Lift your hand and say, pray for me right now. Is there any here, unbelievers here tonight? Okay, well, guys, we got work to do for next Wednesday, huh? Is there any of you here tonight who are saying, man, I'm just not living the submitted, obedient life I should? And that makes me afraid. Pray for me. Just lift your hands up right now. Yes. Lord, you see these right now and I just ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them and as a great shepherd, draw them unto yourself. Draw them to you right now. And if that's you, just cry out in your heart, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Cleanse me of this evil, wicked heart and cause me to have a heart submitted to you obeying you, following you. In Jesus' precious name, thank you for washing us all in the water of your word tonight. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's uh, greet one another and have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.